Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, guys, I did it. On this episode of the Booze Hustle, I got probably my, I don't know, coolest guest yet? I don't know. That's that's rude to all the other people that have been on the podcast. Uh, but on this episode of the Booze Hustle, I interview the one, the only, king of the cocktail, Dale DeGroff. I am so lucky that he took time out of his very busy schedule uh, to chat with me. If you don't know who Dale is, he is quite literally the most famous living bartender in the world. The gentleman has two James Beard Awards. Uh, He has been a judge at uh, world-class competitions. He has been on uh, Netflix show Drink Masters as a judge. Uh, He pretty much is the world's foremost cocktail expert. Um, And he's the guy who like single-handedly brought craft cocktail back into the mainstream by being the first person to really like start to look at cocktails and require that they use fresh real ingredients uh, starting in the 80s and the 90s he's worked at some of the most famous places like the rainbow room Um, he just he really just set off a cocktail revival and uh, he has wrote two really incredible books the art of the cocktail three three books I think I don't know but he's wrote books that every single bartender and bar person that I know has in their house Um, we have all made his cocktails we have all benefited from his wisdom and now you all get to listen to me giggle like a schoolgirl for 40 plus minutes uh, chatting with him. Um, I hope you really enjoy this episode. I'm super jazzed uh, that he was a guest and enjoy. All right, so tell me what what martini are you drinking? I'm very jealous. So, you know, it used to be so easy, you know, back in the day to order a martini. You would say beef eater up dry with a with an olive and a twist, and you were done. <clears throat> but this is a fitty-fitty, meaning equal parts of vermouth and gin. Mm. Also has a little sweet vermouth along with the dry vermouth, so the vermouths are split in two, mm-hmm. not exactly in two, like a perfect. It's almost perfect, perfect. Then there's a dash of my bitters, because I can, mm-hmm. instead of orange bitters, which, which the 19th century version of this would have used either Angostura or orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is something I started doing when I, I sat down with the people from uh, William Grant. They had come out with a with the new bottling of Hendrix called Orvium, which I found to be very f- cocktail-friendly because I've never felt that the original Hendrix was a particularly cocktail-friendly gin. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful cocktail gin, but it didn't have that dry, 
uh, I say bitter, not in a bad way, in a good way, aftertaste that makes a great martini. Mm -hmm. And this other version did. So we sat down at their corporate bar in New York City. And I just sat there and made like 14 martinis, one after the other. And they were all, it seemed to work with all of them. And Audrey Saunders, who I've known for many, many years and worked with, and mm -hmm. she, when she opened Pegu Club in New York City, she was the first one to put a Fitty Fitty Martini back on the menu. Mm -hmm. Fitty Fitty Martini is the heritage of this drink. I mean, it goes to 1888, the first time the, the drink appeared in print. Uh, Harry Johnson, the famous, uh, in his 88, 1888 version of his book, uh, published for the first time ever, martini recipe. And that recipe was, uh, I had to write it down because I'm getting old, I can't remember anything anymore. <laughs> Gum syrup, uh, bitters, curacao, old tom gin, and vermouth. Mm. The old tom gin and the vermouth were equal parts. Every martini after that, almost to the turn of the century, because he was one of the masters, along with, Harry, with Jerry Thomas, of the, of the profession, one of the godfathers, if you will, mm -hmm. the younger bartenders that came after him, Charles Mahoney, for example, and a lot of other ones, they were loath to call anything a martini but that, because mm. that became the classic. Mm -hmm. Even though they were making drinks with dry gin and dry vermouth in the turn of the century, they called them something else. Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't until after Prohibition that dry gin and dry vermouth started being referred to as a martini by all bartenders. Mm -hmm. So it was a matter of respect for the master, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> Appreciate that. And this is what I'm drinking, the master's drink. It looks amazing. <laughs> it looks great. He said vermouth in 1888. He was probably meaning in New York City, Italian vermouth, which would, mm -hmm. would have been what we know as red, sweet. Mm -hmm. The drier French styles were still available. They were, they had, they had come into the country, but they weren't quite available in that area up there yet. So uh, I, I used both. When I said I split the vermouth, I split it mostly dry, but a little bit of sweet, as you can see from the color. Yep. That's a little bit of vermouth de Torino in there. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's one of my favorites. Koki, yeah. Koki, yeah, vermouth de Torino is yeah. great. Um, when I was a bartender, I was a bartender for many years, um, 10 years, and then I got into the distribution side of things. And then now I work as a supplier and I actually went to school for journalism. So this is this, what I'm doing right now is my way of feeling creative Hanging in. In, in an industry <laughs> that can be sometimes a little challenging when you're on the supply side of things. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I loved Koki because it was like a really great cost hack. It was very efficient cost-wise when people were using a lot of like Carp Carpano, which tended to be a little bit pricier, um, especially lately. But thank you so much for doing this podcast, first of all. It's kind of an informal conversation. I talk to people in the wine and spirits world about where they got their starts and how they got to be where they are today. And you have this long and storied career. And I wonder, are you sick of just answering the same questions over and over again <laughs> at this point? Because I won't do that to you. <laughs> I actually managed to turn the conversation to the direction I like anyway. Smart. <laughs> Whatever the questions are. Masterful. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I kind of like to talk about what I like to talk about. And if, if somebody gives me a question that spurs some memories, then I'll go in that direction. You know? That's great I advice. I never, get tired, I never get tired of talking if that's what you Okay. Mean. Well, no, but that's great advice. If you don't like the question somebody asks, just answer the one you want to answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, had, I had a boss named Joe Baum. He was a genius, and I'm not making that up. I, I'm not the first one to 
to call him a genius. He uh, actually changed the way we eat and drink in America. And back in the 50s, when he first started changing things, his idea was that there was a classic American cuisine, and he was angry that all the five-star, four-star chefs were all French and Italian. And, and he worked his whole career to find that new American cuisine. And his, his, for, for most of his career, his, his menu consultant was James Beard mm -hmm. <laughs> until he died in 1987. James worked with him on all of his classic restaurants, the Four Seasons, La Fonda del Sol. These are famous restaurants in New York City. You may or may not have heard of them. Mm -hmm. But what, what, what Joe taught me <laughs> was how to speak to people in the press because we were a high-profile property up there at the Rainbow Room. And one time, early on, in the first six months, I was interviewed over the bar but didn't really know I was being interviewed by somebody. Mm. And it was actually Karen McNeil. Do you know the name? Yes. <laughs> Karen was a cub reporter back in 1987. <laughs> and she sat at my bar and asked me questions. And then in a fancy food magazine, which doesn't even exist anymore, came this wonderful uh, article about, is the cocktail really back? You know, and uh, it's a conversation with me. This mm -hmm. is like my first ink. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I get a call down at the, the executive floor on the 43rd floor, and that's not good. I only went to the 43rd floor when there was like a group of us having a staff meeting department heads, and I was the head bartender, you know, or to, sh to show you new, show new drinks or new ideas, whatever, new menu. This was not good to be alone. Mm. Principal's so I walked office. in, and sure enough, <laughs> he, was, he, he was behind his bar, and he had a, it was not good. He threw a magazine at me. It hit me in the chest. He said, read that. And there was a little tab at the top that they do when you have to go to an article. Yep. And, I, and I'm reading what is essentially this really cool <laughs> conversation with me and Karen, right? Yeah. And I'm smiling, and he's just getting angry, and he rips it out of my hand. And he underlines something. He says, read me that. Karen said to me, so what are you trying to do with the uh, – I mean, she said, no, what are you doing with a cocktail menu up there at the Rainbow Room? I began to answer Karen by saying, well, what we're trying – Hmm. On the word trying, his hand came down on the desk really, really hard. Yeah. We don't try. We do. The fuck out of my office. <laughs> you had your Yoda moment. He Yoda so you, from Dale. That moment on, <laughs> from that moment on, I spoke in superlatives only, yeah. and I directed the conversation where I wanted it to go. Yeah, smart. <laughs> oh, my God. I, you that got was my lesson from joe how to speak to the press yeah well that's really smart you know in doing some research obviously i i knew a lot about you already i've read your books and you know i've read some interviews and it's interesting because there were some interviews where i could tell you were not into talking to the particular interviewer and i was like "Ooh, this should be interesting um but, and that's my question about do you get sick of answering the same questions? But hopefully I, I've got some I've got some good ones for you. I also took a couple of questions from colleagues in the bar community because I, you know, I, I, I let it slip who I was talking to and I would be a jerk if I didn't give them some sort of platform to say hello to you. So, okay. Um, well, first, I just want to start at the very beginning. Um, I read you're from Rhode Island. Is that correct? I'm sitting four blocks from Rhode Island right now. I'm actually living in Connecticut, but four blocks from Rhode Island. The little town is westerly Pawkatuck. I'm in the Pawkatuck half of it. My mother, who's no longer with us, was in the westerly half, and I'm related to half of the town because mm -hmm. she was Italian, and they were all big, big families. I've actually moved back here right as COVID was starting to hang out 
and because my mother was in her 90s. Mm. And I had been in New York for years and years, and I decided it was time to go back and hang out. So Jill, my wife, and I moved back here and bought this old house and uh, been hanging out ever since in beautiful Rhode Island. Dale, you're telling me we could have done this interview together. I'm in Connecticut on the eastern part of the state. (laughs) You're kidding. (laughs) Well, that's a little bit farther from me. I mean, it's like a half hour. (laughs) I'm I'm between, you know, Mystic and... West yeah, and that little area. Look at that, we're neighbors. It's it's paradise. It's like you know, there's little whaling villages and fishing and seaside. I do love Rhode Island. I spend some time in, um, so I cover all of the Northeast, and I spend um, a decent amount of time in Providence, which gotta gotta love a, a city that's still so old and Italian, where there's like former crime bosses walking up and down the street grabbing the papers. <laughs> just I well, Providence is one of the few towns where your chances of being elect mayor, if you've been in jail, are improved. <laughs> improved, strongly improved. That's crazy. So, how did you end up in New York from um, Rhode Island? Oh, New York was. Uh, so I went to the University of Rhode Island right out of right out. I only had one one uh, grade of high school on after all that traveling. And I went to the University of Rhode Island and I studied theater arts. Mm. And we got to enter a play into the Yale Drama Festival in New Haven. And we were touted by Brendan Gill, the senior editor of, senior you know, critic for theater at the New Yorker, who took a little, I don't know, summertime jaunt to Yale University and saw our little play along with lots of other plays and gave us the the nod as the best thing at the festival. I went immediately back to the university. I was in my junior year. I packed my bags and I never looked back. Wow. I moved into the Sloan House YMCA and I was sure I was going to be on the Broadway boards in no time. <laughs> and I was exactly right. I, I was... Uh, I was in the, in the Broadway boards. I was never at any time on the Broadway boards. <laughs> <laughs> but I was on some different boards behind three feet of mahogany. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, you just had to find your star in a different place. That's all. I reckon. Well, same you know, place, that, different stage. All that vocal and dance, all that, it helped behind the bar. I could dance around the other bar. hundred percent. I mean, anyone who's good at their job knows that 90% of it is providing an experience for the guest. And, you know, um, I was really interested. I read somewhere that you had said um, about trends, about one thing that you wish would come back, that there's something that's missing today that I feel like was a little bit more common, maybe in the 90s and the 80s even, which was a little bit more fun in the environment. Uh, and that you see that bringing back fun is maybe the next trend of a bar. Uh, I think it's happening. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Can you tell me what you Well, about I'll that? give you an I, My partners and I in a company called Bar Smarts, Steve Olson, David Wondrich, Doug Frost, Paul Backholt, Andy Seymour, all of us traveled around a lot because uh, we had been tasked by the Colonel Ricard Drinks Company to create a journeyman version of our master's class, which was a non-affiliated class that we teach once a, once a year to about 50 to 70 bartenders. Uh, it's up to 70 now. It's a week-long class, and it's really for people who are want to go beyond where, way beyond where they are, you know. And we taste through 212 spirits over the course of the few first few days 
the testing is pretty intense. David Wondrich, Dr. David Wondrich, I should say, <laughs> uh, is, is the uh, former college professor who writes the 100-question written test, which is formidable. But you also have to make drinks for us all. You also have to do blind tastings of not just spirits, but of cocktails for, for us. Mm -hmm. And you have to pass, and there's a menu test, and you have to pass each element of this. Well, the, the, the journeyman version of it called Bar Smuts went online. Lots and lots of bartenders took that online. And then we would go around the country and we would test them. And as we traveled around the country, we, we noticed that this whole cocktail, the speakeasy thing was everywhere. You know? mm -hmm. And there was, as, as you may have imagined, and I think you were going in this direction, some of the speakeasy bars are just a little too precious, you know, and, and the tweezer drinks, we call them, you know, are just a little <laughs> too intense. And uh, sometimes the bartender doesn't look up often enough. Mm. And there's a little little wall of cheater bottles in front of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that that was a bad idea because the bar top is for the customer, you know. And so I tried to fight the idea of all the cheater bottles. Find another spot. Yeah. Down below, I started to get discouraged, even though I loved the drinks they were making and I loved the direction that the, that the business was going in. You know, we were, we were about quality for the first time. We had thousands, literally hundreds of thousands of, of colors on our palate, if you will. Mm -hmm. That is to say, spirits that emerged since I started in 1974. You know, it's incredible. And um, so then it started to happen. When we traveled around the country, we went into one of these craft bars and they had one of those sliding you know kind of uh you know uh games that you play and they had pinball machines and i'm like yes this is starting go. to look good yeah they were making those great drinks but they were putting in pool tables and putting and i said yes yes now it's starting to happen this is what we want to get back to yeah. i want to get back to the bars i hung up when i was a teenager and i played pinball machines yep. you know for hours on end and had a blast or just just played the jukebox pj clark's had the great jukebox oh jukebox yeah in new york city yeah and played that jukebox to you know and and just raised hell you know the wonderful part of a bar and, and those bartenders you know the guys that I worked with, those Irish bartenders with the gift of the gab, those guys were masters yep. of crowd control, if you want to call it that. Yeah. They were just masters of hospitality. I mean, the man I, I watched and worked next to for, for a while because I had the service window, Mike O'Connor. Mike O'Connor was an absolute soft-spoken gentleman. You know, Pat was a little more gregarious at the other end of the bar. Uh, both Irishmen, you know, both over from Ireland, you know. Mm -hmm. So Mike was a master and I watched him work. I watched him control the crowd and I watched him defuse situations, but he was so beloved that if somebody was misbehaving, Mike had to only raise his voice <laughs> and then every eye in the place. It was like that movie. Remember the movie where the aliens would all look at the one person who wasn't an alien, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, every eye would be on this offender Yeah. and he would quickly realize that this was not a good place to misbehave. Bad move. Bad, <laughs> bad move. Yeah. It just, that was how easy it was for Michael to control, you know, the space. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You're right. You're right, though. So I feel like... There is a point where a bartender is taking themselves a little too seriously. And I talk about that a lot. I've talked a lot about a lot about that because I bartended in like an absolutely unhinged period of the late 90s, early 2000s. <laughs> where like, listen, I watched Dream Masters. I thought it was incredible. But I said to my husband the other night, I go, they are chefs. I made drinks. I make a mean old fashioned. I can I can entertain behind the bar like nobody's business. I'm not a chef, so I wouldn't. Yeah. So like, there's like this line, right, where we have to like meet, we have to be able to do both things really well. But at the end of the day, that, if you're... that competition, I don't think represents what they do on their daily job. True. <laughs> True. Yeah, and like world class. We don't I mean, have an hour like... to make a drink on our daily job. Ninety minutes go. <laughs> in a full kitchen with all the gadgets you could possibly imagine yeah. at our beck and call at a grocery store on the other side of the room you know i was like i could never <laughs> be a bartender now like apparently no that's not true i spend a lot of time obviously in my job now with with bartenders and restaurants so i do know that there's a piece of that there's a creativity um but yeah there's there is a point where i think people can um take themselves a little too seriously and just make it not fun so i really love that you're uh, you know, advocating that, um, you know, are there any trends that you're seeing with younger bartenders that you really love and that you like are most interested in? Well, by the way, I do like the things they're doing and, and if they know how to do them quickly and if they, if they're clever enough to make them work within the bounds of a busy Saturday night, yep. I'm cool. Yeah. I'm cool yeah. with that. And so what I'm seeing now, of course, is them taking advantage of things. Well, like when, when my partner, Wondrich came out with that punch book. All of a sudden, in San Francisco, New York, everybody's making punch bowls. And on Saturday nights, they're selling them because they can make their shrubs and stick them in the fridge, you know, and pull out a shrub, pour it into a punch bowl, pour a bottle of booze, pour a liter of water, 
a big cube of ice and put some nutmeg on top and boom, they've just served 12 people. Yep. Done in three minutes, you know? Yeah. So that, that to me is, is what's happening in the clever places. You know, the fact that they're putting cocktails on tap. I love this. Yeah. I love cocktails on tap. Negroni on tap. I'm all over it. Mm -hmm. Why not? Why wouldn't you? I'm not so sure about the aged Negroni. I'm sorry, Jeffrey Morgenthaler. <laughs> He's the one who started aging, aging them in wood. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, Eh, if you want to put it in a, in a cistern or something and let it set and oxidize, it, it'll get better probably. But, but uh, you know, a, a Negroni to me is like a fresh, fresh thing. Yeah. A fresh, you know. And, uh, but, but Jeffrey did create the idea of, of that. And, and he also has things on draft at his new place, I believe. But having vermouth on draft, cool, why not? Why wouldn't you? Yep. I mean, this is, I mean, science is okay. We remember back to the new Nouvelle Cuisine when it, the last version of Nouvelle Cuisine, which happened in the in the seventies, Alice Waters took the most advantage of it. She and her her, her massively talented chef, uh, whose name is not coming to me right now, owned Stars Restaurant in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. Eventually, she understood it, but in the early days, it was the same as the early days of this craft cocktail movement. There was the big nineteen-inch plate with twelve colored dots and two sea scallops, and that was your entree. And I'm like. What? Oh, where's all those ingredients, you know, that were listed? <laughs> They're the dots, you know. <laughs> those are the sauces, you know. Oh. You could you could swirl them around with a piece of your <laughs> of your scallop. <laughs> so I think, you know, that was not what the French guys were doing in Nouvelle at all. They had sumptuous plates that were built high, lots of food. And and Alice Waters started to do that and she hired a, a guy who understood that kind of of architecture of the plate. So they, they, they called it California cuisine. They changed the mm. name, but it was essentially, you know, the idea that it's okay to use science. Mm -hmm. It's okay to let the food speak. We don't need to have sauces that have to cook forever. All these things are good, but give me some food. <laughs> you know, I want some food too. Yeah. I don't need, I don't want to go grab a burger after my $2,000 meal. <laughs> Which is exactly what we all did when we first went to Nobu in New York City. Ooh. We'd be at PJ Clark's at midnight having burgers. Oh, my you know? God. <laughs> I love the food at Nobu. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But, you know, if you wanted to eat enough to fill you up, you're into like 400 bucks a person. And four hours. <laughs> and four and hours. Four By hours. the time you leave, you're hungry again. <laughs> it's been there for so long. I'm not knocking that either. No, 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 no. Marvelous. No. Going to Nobu. And, no. And Matsuhisu Nobu. I, I opened his Matsuhisu in Greece with him, yep. not with him, but with the bar, you know, guys yep. and did the drinks for it. So I, 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 I have ultimate respect for him yeah. and for his partner, Toshi, who no one ever talks about in Lima, Peru, which is where Matsuhisu came wow. from. Toshi was master of that. And that, that great cod dish came from that restaurant oh, that's in, cool. in, in Peru. And Toshi, uh, Stayed in Peru and, and ran Toshi's, uh, and and of course Matsuhisa went around the world and opened restaurants all around the world. But Toshi was an opera singer. Oh wow! And he sang in his dining room. Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> it was totally amazing. That's so funny. Well, Dale, he was the happiest man on the face. I of think there's a place for all of those things, right? Like I I can go to the aviary in Chicago. I, I, I'm from Chicago. So like my heart always goes back to Chicago or I can go to, you know, Alinea or Avery and have a really incredible experience and then be like, where are we getting uh, beers and a burger? Like after. <laughs> like, but when, when Aviary, uh, was it Aviary that hired uh, Charles Jolie? Yeah. Or was it? Jack? Yeah. When they hired Charles, I said, now they're cooking. Oh yeah. Because Charles was a straight ahead. Yeah. 
solid bartender who believed the same kind of hospitality we're talking about, yes. you know. He, he was brilliant. And and I judged the year that he won world class. Oh, you I did? I judged the finals. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. And what made... What set him apart from mostly younger bartenders who were competing against him from different countries around the world, for example, when one of his science experiments didn't work, he said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to solve this problem another way. And he, he retooled the drink, drink on the spot for us. And it was brilliant, hmm. you know, instead of like, and he laughed about it all along the way. Right? He said, you know, this science stuff, sometimes it works, sometimes it works. <laughs> and he went, let's, let's and the fact that he was able to pull that out of the hat, you know, was just absolutely. But each step of the way, the, the hospitality that he gave us, the, some of the younger guys hadn't gotten there yet. Mm. You know, they didn't come up in a saloon. You know, they didn't they, they come up in a fine dining sure. restaurant or they came up in a yep. in a craft bar. So they never had the opportunity to stand next to a master. <laughs> of hospitality yeah and watch him work you know yeah it is it is slightly different i like charles he's a good dude he actually did this podcast <laughs> uh, he's the best yeah he is really cool i'm really proud of him he's doing some really incredible things um i wonder you're you're like professionally like the energizer bunny like what what drives you like what drives you the most these days uh being alive helps a lot <laughs> i'm 75 and still alive. Yep. Well, 74. Will be 75. No rounding up, Dale. No, no rounding up. No rounding up. <laughs> I don't really want to round, round up. Round down. I expect to have a pretty good party at 75. Nice. I'll um, be there. Thank you for the invite. It'll be called 75 and still alive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm selling it out now. <laughs> nice. It's a good banner. 75 but, still alive. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, anyway, uh, just being facetious, but actually, you know, what keeps me relatively, you know, swimming every morning, number one, saves my life. Mm -hmm. I swim every single morning. There's a beautiful Olympic-sized pool four minutes away from my house, except for when I'm on the road. Mm -hmm. And working on stuff. Uh, I have two new products coming onto the market, um, which I'm, I'm thrilled about. I work with Ted Bro, who was the guy I made the bitters with. Ted is a brilliant brilliant chemist and distiller who gave us the jade uh, spirits uh, absinthe. And he's also the guy who, who brought absinthe to America finally by, by proving to the TTV that the parts per million of Thujone were untraceable mm -hmm. and that real absinthe would be a part of our bar. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did a 60 page uh, profile on him in the New Yorker based on that single thing. But he is a wonderful distiller, and he and I are doing a bitter aperitivo and an amaro together oh. at Hood River Distillers. Actually, Hood River bought Clear Creek Distillers. Remember yep, them? Yep. They were doing all the fruit brandies. Yep. We're we're working with their massively talented distiller to do these products to Ted's to Ted's protocols. Very cool. And What's it called? Coming out with them in New York in April. What's uh, DeGroff's Amaro and DeGroff's Bitter Aperitivo? Nice. And you're going to start distribution in New York and kind of go out from there. Yeah, uh, we have Frederick Wildman as our New York distributor. Okay. So probably license it from New Jersey and Connecticut, I hope. And then on the road, we go on the road. That's really exciting. I'll have yeah. to I'll have to look yeah. for those. Um, and you're married, so I wonder how does your your partner feel about sharing you with the world all the time? Well, she's had about enough of this cocktail shit. I can tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you know Jill's work, but she's a massively talented artist. 
who sells through a, a restaurant gallery in New Jersey and also through occasionally Swan Galleries in New York City. And uh, she's in her studio right above my head, above my head right now, where she remains most of the time. She used to come on the road with me once in a while. Now, unless it's Hawaii, <laughs> you know, yeah. she's probably not coming. Yeah, <laughs> she's done it all. She's seen it all with you. She's It's gotten old. Well, she, she, <laughs> she did a lot of, uh, she got a lot of work out of those years we spent in bars because her, her initial work were caricatures of barflies, musicians, oh, bartenders, cool. and those have uh, have become part of her signature. A lot of bartenders use those those characters on their cards, and they all have the originals. houses. I love that. I know. I have to look that up. I I, did, I wasn't I I didn't know that. That's incredible. Saloonartist.com. Okay, saloonartist.com. I wonder. I mean, this might be a random question, but what do you think people like misunderstand about you the most? Right? Because everyone has they they create their own narrative of people and their careers, and then they meet someone. Is there something that you wish people knew about you that they don't know or that they get wrong? No, I think people know too much about me already. <laughs> Fair <laughs> I, enough. The rest of it, I want to keep secret. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Say no more. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm out there a lot. And it's nice to uh, spend most of my time here. Now, now. But I'm back on the road with the new product. Yeah. Well, you said swimming. So what else do you do outside of the beverage alcohol space? Like, what are your other hobbies? Reading. Watching TV. I'm a big TV watcher. My wife thinks wasting my brain. I said, too late to waste my brain. Yeah. <laughs> I killed those cells years ago with alcohol. <laughs> it's just so good. <laughs> I said, only strong, the strongest cells have survived. <laughs> and they want to watch TV. <laughs> and they want to watch TV. Exactly. I, I wanted to ask, um, you know, specifically, and then I'm going to ask my my bartender friend questions. Um, you know, the work life balance thing is very hard with this profession specifically. Do you have any advice for bartenders about how they could best advocate for themselves for healthy work life balance with their employers? Yeah, absolutely. Have you ever heard of a book called Pouring with Heart? No, writing it down. Pouring. Have you heard of a company called Boring with heart. No. Said Moses Company. Okay. He's got about 20 bars in LA and a couple bars in Denver, two bars in Austin, soon to be another one. Uh, Said's company was originally called 213 Hospitality. But after working with bartenders and as, a, as the company got bigger and bigger, he changed the name to Boring with Heart. Said's book, to me, is a book that every CEO of every major corporation in America or around the world should read about what it's like to create community within your company, create a, a working space that's not only fair and all the things we expect it to be, to be legal, but also nurturing in many, many ways. You know, Work-life balance. Yeah. Fire your boss if he doesn't share your vision, number one. That's the most important. Mm -hmm. People end up working for awful people mm -hmm. and they don't walk away. You gotta walk away. Life is too short. Fire your boss. Yep. I know that sounds weird and you say, but it's a good job. It's not a good job if you're miserable. True. 
And that's number two. Make sure this is the business you want to be in. If you ever wake up in the morning and, oh, my God, here we go again. Mm -hmm. This is not the work for you. You've got to really kind of, I'm not saying you got to love all this shit that goes down across that bar. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying you got to like to be there and you got to like to be a part of that world. Yep. You've got to like to have people in front of you, good or bad, you know, and you've got to learn how to deal with the bad and the good. It's true. And, uh, and you've got to be an observer. And, I, and I, I, I say you have to be a judge of human nature, but you can't become a judge of human nature unless you open your eyes and watch what's happening in front of sure. you. Sure. And that's got to be happening minute by minute at your bar, mm-hmm. no matter how busy you are, you've got to be learning from your customers and they got to be learning from you. You've got to be enjoying your customers. You've got to be nurturing them. Keep people out who are not, as Joe used to say, when he when there was an unsavory character, he'd come up to me at the other end of the bar and he'd say, you know, Dale, <clears throat> I don't think this is the bar for that guy at the corner. <laughs> <laughs> that's powerful okay and that's my job now to yeah I, make him aware of the yeah fact i don't this think is this is the bar, the bar for you <laughs> this is a city with millions of options go find another one. <laughs> oh, see you later yeah oh my gosh all right well thank you for that that was great all right so i have a question here so this is a gentleman his name uh is khalid williams and he has uh, a really lovely social media account if you're on Instagram called The Barrel Age. He does a lot of um, education around uh, cocktails and mixology and, you know, kind of helping elevate and educate the consumer and, you know, making it really accessible. And he's just a very awesome dude, great bartender. So a uh, good friend of mine. Uh, and uh, he found out I was going to talk to you. So he wanted to ask you this question. So he says... Uh, Being on both sides of the cocktail revolution and being one of the beacons of light from the beginning, how would you comment on the post-revival cocktail culture circa 2010 to present? What have we figured out? What do we still need to learn? And how can craft-minded bartenders get closer to mass adoption of classic drink canon? (laughs) This is a lot. (laughs) You can pick which part of this you want to answer. Uh, and how can the casual American chain make refinements that are realistic? There's a lot. There's a lot there. Well, the casual American chains, number one, have to use real ingredients only. That means getting the sour mix out of the gun immediately. Yep. And any other juices except maybe cranberry, which is mm-hmm. inert. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's, the, that's the first thing they got to do. If they don't do that, then they're never going to graduate to the next right. step which is to make sure that their staff knows what to do with all the things that they're going to bring on after that. Mm -hmm. So that's what I think is needed in casual dining brands across the board. And I went to the Cheers conference year after year after year, as did Doug Frost, Steve Olson, David Wondrich, all of us convincing these guys that you had to go fresh, you had to go real, you had to use good recipes, and you had to pay attention to training. Mm because there's nothing more important in the world than making sure that your bartenders are at least as smart as your guests, because the guests have been educated massively by advertorials in every major magazine and newspaper that have taught them everything 
about how how do you a malting floor in Ireland or I mean Scotland and a and a and a, and a Pisco distillery in, in yep. Peru. They read about this stuff. If you don't, if you're not there with them, you know, if somebody walks up and says, "Do you have a, do you have a quebranta or do you only have achilado in your Pisco mm-hmm. range?" You better yeah. know what that means. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's primary for a, for a casual fine a casual dining with bar kind of multi-unit operation is an inspired person at the top of food mm-hmm. and beverage. We've bought by now finally separated the beverage manager from the food and beverage. There is no such thing as a food and beverage <laughs> manager anymore. You have a beverage manager and you have a yeah. food manager because it's just way too complicated now on the beverage mm-hmm. side, isn't it? And that's the other thing. He knows, because he sounds like he's really on top of his game, that it's not just cocktails, wine. It's everything. It's tea and coffee. It's mm-hmm. soft drinks. It's anything you put in the glass. you got to be the master of that, too. You know, that's especially on the on the casual dining where that kind of stuff comes into play more and more. And I don't want to go overboard with the non-alcoholic because they are going a little overboard now, in my opinion. Let's not forget where which side of the bread are. <laughs> We're buttering our bread. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I love the fact that people are paying attention to. You should. I had yeah. from day one. On my beautiful Milton Glaser design menu at the bottom was a whole non-alcoholic section starting in 1987 and continuing until we lost our lease in mm-hmm. 2000, you know. So that was a, a primary part because why should somebody who comes to the famous rain room and happens to be pregnant right. be punished? Yeah. <laughs> you know, make a make a s- sexy, beautiful drink for that. You were so ahead of your that. time, though, and, Dale, because and, you know, I. I get what you're saying about people going a little overboard with it, but I feel like there's this collective shift that has to happen where before it becomes part of the collective consciousness and people start adopting it and we haven't gotten there yet. So I think if enough people talk about NA enough, then people will start to actually have a section on their menu because, you know, from when you were bartending to today, it is the single most disappointing thing for me to go to a bar and, you know, I have days where I don't drink, but I want... I want something that tastes good to go with this very expensive meal that I'm having. And they have the most disappointing. It's just, there's no, it's like. That's on the bartender. You should be able to walk up to a bar and say to that guy, look, I'm taking January off. Make me something sexy and tasty. And if he can't fulfill that, whether it's on the menu or not, forget that. If he can't as a bartender, then he's not the guy. I mean, you know, that should be doing that job. You should be able to, off the top of your head, come up with something marvelous from what you have yeah. behind that bar. You, you should have thought this out ahead of time. You can have a lot of people walking up to your bar, especially if you work in a fine dining restaurant where people are not used to bars. They get stuck there waiting for their table. Mm. That was the mm-hmm. rain room, by the way. I had to take care of a lot of people that were very, very uncomfortable mm. being at a bar. And so what? They're uncomfortable. You make them comfortable. You know, you figure out yeah. a way to do that. You know, you figure out a way that fulfill the needs of the person directly in front of you over and over again. You know, Gaz Reagan, he says, we're going to save the world one customer (laughs) at a time. I love Gaz. He was a really dear friend. 
miss him. That is the uh, epitome of hospitality, though. That's epitome. That's that is what it is, though. Like at the end of the day, we can have the fanciest beverage program, but if people don't feel welcome standing at your bar, you failed. I love it that Franklin Delano Roosevelt insisted that they serve martinis when he met with Churchill and Stalin. <laughs> he knew this is an American form of saying yeah. hello, you know. And what did Stalin say? Get cold <laughs> on the stomach. You're fantastic. Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I, I, I had 65,000 questions and I only asked you a thousand of them. Um, but I, I appreciate you and I know you will continue to inspire everyone uh, in the beverage community. So thank you. It's been a pleasure. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 